Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. On today's episode of NFP, I speak with the artist Patrick Amadon about ongoing events in the Web3 space. We talk about his early experimentations in digital art, uh, followed by his entry into the NFT movement. We also talk about topics such as utility versus the concept of art for art's sake, as well as the current state of the NFT market. Hey, this is NFP, the non-fungible podcast with me, D. Klein. Today's episode is brought to you by the Koi Network. Koi makes minting NFTs super easy and inexpensive. Just drag and drop your file using their NFT wallet, Finny, and Koi takes care of the rest. Minting costs as little as one cent, so you can create as many NFTs as you want. And when they're viewed by other people, you even earn Koi tokens that you can use to fund your next series. Check it out at koii.network. All right, Patrick Amadon on NFP, thank you for joining me. No, thank you for having me, Darren. This is, it's great, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I think we talked last on a Twitter Spaces, um, and I think it was Robness who actually was the one who said, yeah, yeah, you should talk to Patrick Hamadon. And I was like, right on, let's do that. So that was a really good discussion. You know, I've been doing that for a while now, so I appreciate you spending the time uh, joining us in that discussion. When was that, about yeah. a month ago? Uh, time flies, right? No, I appreciate that. It's, it's cool of uh, Robness to say that too, so appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was noticing, you know, I was looking at your Twitter feed. There's just, there's so much good stuff in there that I was looking at. And one that stood out to me the other day was uh, your little Dungeons and Dragons reference. <laughs> you say you're, you're firmly chaotic neutral. And I think I was yeah. like, I think I'm more chaotic good. So let's hear it. You know, Patrick, tell us like, tell us about how you uh, fit that alignment. I'm curious to hear this. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that one up. Um, I just always find myself um you know with art and conceptually and otherwise I, it was just kind of seemed to fit right in the middle um antagonize a lot of people um kind of inadvertently but i'm just kind of saying what comes comes into mind not necessarily trying to antagonize people but at the same time not going out of my way to kind of wag me gm everybody either which is fine too <laughs> but not really not really kind of my vibe um, so I just end up kind of like being centrist about a bunch of different things, a bunch of different subjects, politically, art-wise, otherwise. I just kind of consistently find myself kind of in the middle um, and uh, a firm, uh, kind of a firm believer in kind of uh, doing my own thing. And I think historically, um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the rules around art, a lot of the rules around Twitter and so forth. Have, kind of found a lot of benefit to kind of ignoring and just kind of doing what I think makes the most sense. Um, so I try to go for the, the chaotic part here. Try to try to be <laughs> as unconstrained as possible by mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, ideas, perceptions, and paths that people should be taking. Mm -hmm. Now, is that what kind of drew you into the crypto art scene in the first place? Because that really seems to align well with that way of thinking, at least as it emerged in the earlier days. No, I pre you know, um, had I found it earlier, I think it would have been as good a fit then as it is now. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, because I love that about the space. I, I love, I love having found so many like-minded people mm. in the space. I've made more good long-term friends since being in the space than I've made in my entire life. It was kind of like uh, all the people I would like were all kind of scattered, but this seemed to bring a lot of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been that's been really good. Now, what brought me into the space was people. I, I've been making digital art for ten years. And then uh, I saw people um, sell his piece, um, which the fact that he sold it for so much wasn't the thing. It was the fact that he actually just sold digital art. It was like, wait a right. minute, you can sell you digital can art now? Sell it? <laughs> <laughs> I just been, I just been making it because um, I like doing it for a long time. There wasn't really any avenue. So there to was it. no commercial element to it prior to that. Surely Zero. you had to. Wow, really? Yeah, okay. no, nothing, Interesting. zero. Uh, you know, I, I, I made uh, traditional art, so I, I do physical work. Uh, so right. I do a lot of oil work. And, um, you know, when I got on Twitter in 2012, um, you know, I was making oil paintings, and they take a month, two months, three sure. months to finish because it takes so long to dry. Um, it was realized, like, okay, I, wait, I'm on social media now. People need something more than once every three months. Yeah. I should figure something else out. Like, what if I make a digital version of my physical piece? That would be twice as much content, right? Sure. So I kind of went down the rabbit hole of that. I like always like the glitch aesthetic and then just started glitching physical pieces. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it really quickly became that people like the uh, online anyway. People like the, uh, the digital version more than the physical version. Yeah. So then it quickly kind of quickly became like the physical was just kind of the starting point at that point. And was really just about the digital thing, but there was just mm-hmm. nothing to do with it. So did a bunch of political pieces. Um, you know, it seemed to play really well um, in that arena uh, and then made a, a lot of uh, kind of glitched uh, versions of uh, physical pieces. Otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was there a strategy to it? Were you like thinking like, hey, you know, these digital works will draw people to my physical art. Was that the thinking or was it just, you know, just a fun not thing even, to do. <laughs> not even. I just, I just like doing it. It was, it was yeah. fun to do. I like the aesthetic, um, but there was, there was just no path for it. There was, there was mm-hmm. nothing you can do with this. Um, so I just did it, and kind of coincidentally, a decade later, uh, I only, I was only on Twitter too because I hate Facebook. Um, <laughs> So just I saw like, you. I saw you saying you refused to be on Instagram as well. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which of course is owned by Facebook. Or Meta, they said, whatever. That is the reason. Um, yeah, which is like serendipitously, you know, a decade later, all of a sudden people like glitch art, mm-hmm. and people are on Twitter. So I, I, I lucked into that one. That just coincidentally all worked out. Right. But, uh, it was a. It was a interesting journey just being on so fringe for so long yeah yeah what do you think of the current state of twitter with uh elon with the mass layoffs people quitting what do you think are we gonna get through this or is twitter gonna collapse are we gonna all be on like mastodon or something <laughs> right um okay uh well firstly i feel bad for any family who got laid off right that's that's no fun right before the holiday so yeah um that being said um now we can dig into like how i actually feel about it um, I think Twitter's fine. I think like with everything, it's just such a chaotic fear, bud storm around anything that changes. Oh, it's going to, no, it's not going to fall apart. 
like this guy is a this guy is a very i mean i think he is obviously he he lacks a little bit of empathy but at yep. the same time he's he's built some significant companies he's not mm-hmm. buying twitter for 44 billion just to like run into the ground in three weeks you know right. like maybe uh maybe you take a bloated legacy media company like that that needed to kind of get back to its you know startup roots and be a little more lean and just make some changes because i've been on twitter for a decade like you know how much has changed in a decade mm-hmm. strikingly little right so maybe uh maybe maybe it did need to have it has spaces a though. little bit to be relevant <laughs> i know spaces is one of the few things i mean you know it took them building communities to get there right so i mean like we're uh i think uh i think i'm interested to see where it goes and no i, I don't think uh, i don't think it's gonna fade at all i think if anything it's gonna increase in relevance you know we talked about making twitter you know kind of uh the wechat of uh the Western world, that's a, that's an ambitious goal. Like, I, I think, um, I think we will be fine. So I, I posted something about it. Like, you know, it's just a little bit of scary news. Everyone starts screaming and panicking. It, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I think it's interesting, you know, like he he posted a, a vote about reinstating Trump. Now, Trump, as far as I know, has said, no, no, I'm staying on Truth Social because it's so much better, right? You know, that's what, <laughs> But then apparently there was something about a lawsuit about Trump getting reinstated on Twitter, you know. Yeah. And they use, use the argument of, uh, the argument was literally something along the lines of, well, you know, at one point in time, you know, people believed, you know, according to the culture at the time, that uh, the sun revolved around the earth and Galileo spoke the truth and, you know, was like persecuted for it. And he's essentially equating himself to Galileo in, in this legal argument that he was making, which yeah, I thought was yeah. kind of interesting and amusing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, it, he, he likes, uh, he likes well done steak with ketchup. I mean, it's not, it's not, we're not yeah. talking Galileo here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the comparison he made or the legal yeah, team uh, made. Not necessarily. Yeah, sure, good. sure. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I like a lot of the, I like a lot of crypto ethos. Like I do, I do believe in free speech. I do believe that there is, there are negative consequences to allowing some of the crazy stuff run unchecked, but mm. it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to balance. I, I would yep. maybe argue that forcing groups of people into the fringes, into kind of the dark side of the web just increases the heat in those communities. You know, yep. when it's just them, I mean, at least if uh, everything's out in the open, we can talk about it and have discourse and dialogue and, you know, kind of uh, nip a lot of these things, I think, in the bud a little bit earlier. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm generally very pro free speech. So if they brought some of those elements out and put them back in kind of the public sphere, you know, we go back to just arguing with each other like normal people instead of stewing in corners. So. Totally. I agree 100%. I feel like maybe I'm just reiterating what you're saying here. But, you know, if you're going to um, have a healthy um, cultural experience, you need to be able to talk about things openly and not just shut someone out if you think that, you know, what they're saying is, you know, not in your favor. You know, so, yeah, I'm all for it. I think, you know what? Put them back on there, let them talk, and let people talk with each other. Let people argue. And uh, like you said, don't push them into these far recesses of the internet. You know, the other, the one issue I have with it is the way that algorithms tend to encourage discord. Mm-hmm. They tend to encourage 
angry responses and inflammatory comments, right? Because you get rewarded for it, right? So that's the one area where I'm not sure how you improve that part of it because it is set up to, you know, encourage diametric opposition and rarely does it happen. I've had it happen on a couple of occasions on Facebook actually where mm -hmm. we actually had a discussion about a topic and I came into it and talked about a different point of view and there were people in the conversation who were like, you know, actually you make a good point there, you know, and they actually listened. Now that's very rare. That's, you know, you don't see that very often, but maybe it's just people not wanting to admit it online. I don't know. I think it's better if you can discuss it. A hundred percent. I appreciate you brought that up point, uh, brought that point up too. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, I, I will occasionally stumble into some inflammatory things online. You know, the other week I posted that PFPs are not art. Mm. Um, which I stand behind and definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely cause some, definitely cause some chaos. What if people um, use art as a PFP? I love it. Uh, PFPs, okay. the 10, the 10 K projects. Are just, I know what you're talking about. Yes. They're, they're consumer products. But the yes. point is, is, uh, I try to respond to everybody who responds to me, regardless mm -hmm. of whether or not they're agree disagreeing, like mildly or violently. If they're, <laughs> So I try to respond to them no matter what. And I think that's I think that's a huge part of the dialogue. So a lot of the people that were ardently against it or upset that I said it, we talked and we don't necessarily have to agree, but I think just the fact that we continue to dialogue after they disagreed, a couple of them we've stayed in touch and now we, you know, engage each other and talk and that's the thing, it's fine to disagree about things. Sure. You know, you just can't you just can't shut people out um, if they disagree with you or block them out. I think that just makes it a lot worse so i think just open dialogue open discussion like just yeah to me it's a foundation of a free society sorry for interrupting but it's foundation 100 yeah yeah so well i'm glad we agree because that makes it easier you know but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but if we disagree it would be cool <laughs> You know, though, talking about you yeah. it, with, you know, getting moving from the traditional art into the digital art, into NFTs, you surely must have got some flack from some sectors of the Internet when you entered that space, when you entered the NFT space. You know, the people who to this day are like, what? Oh, that's the biggest, stupidest idea ever, you know, selling a JPEG or whatever. Like, did you face a lot of uh, resistance over that or oh yeah, what was your definitely. experience? Um. I talked to probably 10 close artist friends about what I was doing in April of last year. Um, Cause in April of last year, that was when I was, I was firmly in, you know, mm -hmm. people thing was February. I jumped in, figured it all out. But by April I was NFTs or I was, I was a hardcore fanboy, right? So yep. I was trying to tell my other artist friends like, Hey, this, this is really cool. You should get in now. Like, this is really like something that's going somewhere. And I tell them why and everything else, but no one, no one jumped in. Everyone else kind of, you know, from like, uh, it's, I'm going to wait and see how this goes to yep. it's a scam to the environmental issues. I mean, it's always something. And I think, yeah, so I got a lot of flack from that. Um, a couple of galleries did not like it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, it's disruptive. You know, that's the thing. I think a lot of people just don't want to see what they've built over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years either become obsolete or become slightly less relevant, right? I mean, you 
you've worked really hard to make something work and then all of a sudden something comes along and changes it, which is just what happens with technology and progress. But at the same time, you know, if you can kick back in your own little way to slow it down, right? If it, you just see people doing that all the time. I mean, so yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of flack for coming over, but I, I obviously wouldn't change a thing about it. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's amazing. I've, I've, my in traditional art, you know, is kind of hitting hitting a wall here. But then NFTs completely changed my life, and now I'm in a completely different place in the traditional art world as well. I, I went mm -hmm. around a ton of layers uh, because of what I've done here, mm -hmm. um, which has been life changing. Mm -hmm. What's well, is it sustainable? You know, we look at the market now and it's obviously going through a rough phase here with all the FTX fallout. And now there's news about grayscale and, you know, this and that contagion kind of situation. You know, what's going to happen, you think, with this NFT market? That's really a small niche of that, but it's extremely um, prone to the volatility that's, you know, in the larger space. What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, I think that, you know, I think we are from like a dollar standpoint, very subject to the whims in front of the macro that we have no control mm -hmm. over. Yep. I think that digital art is here. Um, I think that we have so many, there's so many good use cases for digital art. It's so much easier to collect, so much easier to transact. It's a superior ecosystem for a collector to the traditional art market. Yeah. Right. It's just a matter of the profile of digital art, which I think is really coming around. I know there's a lot of people interested in looking at it, whether that's digital art with ETH at 500 or whether that's digital art at ETH at 2500 is, you know, unrelated to the art itself. I think there's something real about that that will continue. Mm -hmm. So I'm mm -hmm. not worried about that. I, I think it'll just continually get harder and harder for artists. But, you know, that's always that's always that's always been the case. There are, mm -hmm. you know, there are millions of artists and there are only so many collectors. And, you know, while the NFT space has opened up um, collecting to so many more people, which is one of the really interesting things about it, right? I mean, it's made art collecting accessible. You have regular people collecting artists, not this highbrow, elite, ultra wealthy right. privilege. Now anyone can be an art collector. So we've seen that a lot yep. along with a couple of, I just like with everything, the longer something's been around, the longer it's cool, the more competitive it gets. So I think it'll just by nature get harder just through sheer mechanics. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think there's, um, you know, digital artists and artists in general have a, have an avenue and have a, a path that they didn't have before. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just say the sooner the better, especially, especially right now. You know, mm -hmm. I think people, I think people that are creating things right now, engaging on Twitter, being a part of the community right now, um, will have such a huge advantage over those that come back when the market gets good. And yeah. there's already a couple million people here. At yeah. that point, I feel like you might as well be trying to break into the traditional art market. You know, it is pretty a, much. It will be a yeah. rocky road for you. So yeah. Also, yeah. the people that were here and left, I feel mm -hmm. like. <laughs> Oh, you're back, hey? Welcome so back. So nice yeah. of you to show up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. Quick break here to talk to you about the Heather Parody Podcast. I've known Heather since her time with NFTs for Newbies, and now she's doing a new podcast 
exploring the stories of professional creatives, artists, and entrepreneurs, finding out what it takes to make a living doing the things you love and carving your own path. Check it out. You know, um, most of your most prominent digital artwork is on Super Rare, of course. You know, what do you think of their, their strategy over the last, I'd say, year or so of kind of, you know, decentralization of the curation process? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so, I mean, uh, on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. um, I am a firm believer that decentralization is, is the way we all need to go with this, mm -hmm. you know? I really, I have a ton of respect for Super Rare. I think they've been one of the leaders in the space in terms of protecting artist royalties, artist rights, uh, just having kind of a positive ethos and outlook and sharing that with everybody. You know, plus credit for them being, you know, a one-of-one -one marketplace and, you know, helping yep. really legitimize digital art. That being said, um, I don't know if they're under pressure by their VC backers or what. I do feel mm. like they're pers they're pursuing scale, yep. with a little bit more uh, abandon than they probably should be. You know, the whole point is that we have an elite platform, so collectors know, hey, you're on super rare. This is yep. the most tightly curated of all the different spaces. Yep. But I don't know if they need volume or growth or what. But I feel like they're onboarding too many people, so now it's become. Whereas it used to be, you know, if you're on Super, that's fantastic, but Foundation, Maker's Place, Known Origin, we're all valid other options if you just haven't sure. on Super yet. Now I feel like I've onboarded so many people with Super, it's kind of a have or have not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if you're not on Super, why aren't you on Super? They have so many now, which I feel like is maybe, <laughs> you know, life is like that, right? You do something good, there's something bad coincidentally comes out of it. So now I feel like they've created kind of half, half not with who's on super and who's not. So I feel like if you're not, you're really hurt by their onboarding yep. process now. And if you are, you're kind of washed, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a little, little bit of water. um, washed watered down in a sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd like to see, I get it. Like everyone's trying to pursue scale and volume because you know, their companies, they need to grow. The perils of taking VC money, right? They want to see a return. They want to see growth. But you know, I I'd ultimately like to just see um, more of a gallery model in our space where you mm -hmm. just have lots of independent platforms. Yeah. With tight curation niches, whether that's you know whether you're doing Twitch, whether you're doing like you know neo precisionism, whether you're doing abstract work, just. Mm -hmm. you know smaller groups that are known for specific things but are able to attract some of the better artists to go over there and mint and just spread it out a little bit because i, I just don't mm -hmm. think the path to clarity is through scale and i think mm -hmm. spaces was a good idea i like the super spaces a lot but i think it got yep. really muddied because they didn't separate the spaces from super rare Right, mm -hmm. it's everyone is now on super, but it's like, are you in super or are you in space or in the main contract? You're in space. There's no like, wait, you're the monogramma space. Wait, you're the mocha space. Wait, like, I think they should. I mean, I guess that. it is a way for the collector to still see the curation path, right? Like they can see, like for myself, for example, I am on super rare via mocha. Yeah. So if a person were to look at my work on super rare, they could see, oh, mocha curated this person onto the platform. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there is that part of it. 
which is, think? I think, I think it's muddied the waters a lot. That's the thing. Now there's just so many people and nobody knows, yes. but are you a spaces artist? Are you a main contract artist? Where you like, <laughs> right. so, I mean, there's probably no, 10, 20, 10, 20 times the artist. So I wish they went by like a, a power by super. So Mocha was just Mocha uh -huh. and their space was just, right. you know, power by the contract, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed I see to, what you're saying. but let, let them carve out their own niche. Let them carve out their own brand identity you know, as, as a gallery or as a platform, you know, right. just super just supports them on the back end as a marketplace with, you know, technical expertise. Right. So, I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing but, here, but I'm looking yeah. at some of these larger NFT platforms and the volumes they're experiencing in recent Brutal. months. Um, it's not sustainable, honestly. No. You it's, know, it's, so. Well, it's like we're rare pass, right? I mean, that's, that that's the thing. Yes. No, I, now educate I, me yeah. on that. I, I don't know a lot about it. I saw you talking about it a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, basically super, I had a thing. We're going to have 12 artists kind of one piece a month. It sounds like they're going to do an edition of 250. Oh, um, right. Which and is then, unusual for super rare. I mean, right. There are one -on one platform. It's a one -on one platform. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you get a pass. Okay. This month is Colby. Next month is X copy. Next month is Sarah. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, initially they were just going to take the money and, you know, give the artist a pass instead of like anything up front, which, you know, whatever. I just think the, uh, and there's a gambling element too. You might win a one of one from another pool of artists. So it's kind um, of a nifty gateway type vibe to it. It kind of an NFT space in general type vibe, right? It was kind of like, okay, yeah, let's, yeah. let's throw some, let's throw some gambling in there. Let's gamify throw some it. Gamify it. Exactly. Like it didn't feel very, uh, it felt very short term. It didn't feel yeah. like a long term where a one of one platform was lean into this. You know, mm -hmm. I know like Christy Sotheby's took a couple hundred years to build out their prestige and infrastructure. So I know sure. they're just trying to like do this quickly, but that's what it feels like. It feels like they're just trying to like push things too fast right now. And mm -hmm. sometimes these things just take a little bit to consolidate. I'm worried it's going to hurt a little bit long term, but at the same time, I think they have a very positive overall effect on the space. Mm -hmm. And so if they need cash and this is, feels like some form of capital raise, you know, I wish them all the best with it. Right. And they did, I think they did pretty well too. Like, I just want to see them continue to exist. So if they need to do something that's a little bit weird and kind of counter to what they probably should be doing to make some money right now so they can survive. Like, see, that's my thinking. I'm thinking like, like this is a wait this is a way for them to sustain some kind of level of volume in a space where the volume has diminished like massively. Yeah. So I, a little bit of a devil's bargain, but you know, I, I, I can take it. Like I'm, I'm okay with it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you look at say platforms that are a little bit smaller, like say known origin or maker's place, I haven't checked their volumes lately, but I'm pretty sure it's probably quite low. Yeah. I can't, I like, can't to imagine. the point where it's like, can you even staff this? And I'm not saying that about those particular platforms because I haven't looked into the numbers, but you do wonder, like, is there a point where they go, okay, we can't keep this going. I mean, Probably. I know in known origins case, I think eBay bought them. So they're going to be okay. <laughs> right. Right. But I don't know. I wonder, like, we really haven't seen that kind of fallout yet. We haven't seen, like, we've seen a lot of stuff collapse over the last few months, but we haven't seen 
uh, one of the more prominent NFT platforms say, okay, that's it, we're shuttering the doors. But I, I wonder if that's very far off. Yeah, um, I'd be worried about Maker's Place, I guess. Um, yeah. Like you said, like New Origins, eBay back, they just, I feel like they just want to be able to turn on the faucet quickly when, you know, the enthusiasm comes back, I feel like. Mm-hmm six months to three years so yeah i mean i i see it on you know i of course i'm on twitter a lot too and you see people saying things like oh i'm looking to buy nfts you know and it always kind of gives you that feeling of like oh are things coming back or is this just another insincere you know how many of these uh <laughs> dm for promotion type people are liking your work or you know what i mean like yeah it's, it's hard to read the the state of the market with those kinds of posts you know uh, i find it's there's more and more of that kind of behavior I'm finding. I don't know what you think of that Twitter behavior, but I've seen a lot more of the uh, DM me for promotion type people on there. You know, they've got a hundred thousand followers. Yeah. There's some unrelated field there. They're writing in their Twitter handle and then it ends with DM for promo. You know, there's a lot of that now. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how, we'll see how it all, how it plays out. You know, yeah. Um, I think it's all. I think it's all very healthy, though, for art and for uh-huh. the ecosystem in general, though, right? I feel like the immediate, the cash grab isn't quite as lucrative anymore, right? Um, so not only I feel like you see a lot less just scammy projects rolling out. Um, I feel like you also see a lot less art as a product, right? Mm-hmm. Just a lot of people creating work that they think will then sell, mm-hmm. right? So it's a I think it's going to be a, a big, a big reckoning mm-hmm. over this, over this winter and so forth. I think people are going to realize that the sales cycle has slowed down tremendously. And I hope that, uh, I hope that we'll be able to focus more on, uh, the content of the art a lot mm-hmm. more and just take a little more time with it. And it won't feel like such a cash grab, like you get, 60 seconds to throw it everyone in your shopping cart and get out the store type deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like the old game show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, cause I think we do need to, I think we do need to just pause and I think we do need to incorporate more art writers, more art critics, and just more people talking about the content of the art, much less so about the subject matter and the price. Right. Um, you know, mm. I think that's, that's a big part of, I think kind of bridging the crypto art movement um with the contemporary art space because everybody's interested like it's not there there is no lack of interest there is no lack of relevance um but there's a lot there's a huge lack of contextualization um there isn't a whole lot out there to tell people outside of our space what different things are why different things are important the themes people are dealing with, kind of what they're talking about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Other than price signaling, which is a terrible, terrible metric for really anything. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, again, I think it's healthy. I think, you know, like, you know, I, I, I've, I've been at digital art at zero for 80% of my, you know, art career. So you're still way yeah. ahead. Yeah, I'm way ahead, no matter what. So we're, we're good. We're good. <laughs> What's 10,000% of zero? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, this next word I'm going to use might trigger you. Okay, just a yeah. trigger warning, Patrick. Don't say, <clears throat> you can say, don't say you, digital. 
<laughs> oh, you were close. Uh, you mentioned 10K PFPs before. So the yeah. word is utility. Yeah. <laughs> Share your thoughts. Uh, uh, well, I think like, that's uh, good. That, that would be the other triggering word, by the way. So well done. You did your research, sir. You, yeah. You, you almost got me with fidgetal, though. <laughs> I think there's so much conflation in the space. You yeah. know, um, not like, yes, everything is an NFT, but there are so many different types and use cases and iterations of NFTs. Mm-hmm. Saying NFT is just is confusing and, you know, lumps everything together. Like, I think that there are fantastic use cases for utility. Sure. For certain NFTs, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a huge driver of adoption and so forth. I think that when you look at art, and people are trying to add utility to it. You see music and people are trying to add utility to it. Um, I think it always comes across. And I've, I've yet to see an example where that hasn't come across this way. So it always feels like a like QVC mm-hmm. where it's like, here's my art piece. But if you buy it right now, <laughs> I'm going to throw in a second one for the same price. Like, Only $19.99. Yeah, so it always feels like it. It always just feels like this tacked on cheesy like edition that yeah. has no real relevance. But wait, it's, if you buy it now. A hundred percent, hundred percent. It's just, it, and it's like, uh, and that's the thing, right? It's like, it's because we're all talking about subject matter. We're not talking about content. Uh-huh. You show me utility that actually supports the content, the theme, the reason, the purpose of actually creating this. Yep. And, you know, I'll listen, but I feel like you know, everything I've seen with utility so far is just like some sales gimmick. Yeah. Um, I feel a little worse for Web3 musicians, though, too, because for whatever reason, I feel like Web3 musicians feel, I think it's because they're more tighter, tightly tied to kind of the previous world where that's how you make a music career start. Sure. I just feel bad every time it's like, okay, buy my music and then you get early access to the following drops and then you get tickets to come see me live and then I'll give you a book. It's just always like it, a You're right though, it does make like sense in the music things. context. It does make yeah. sense in the music context. Sorry for talking over you there. Yeah, um, I just want to see people focus on art as art, whether it's music, whether yeah. it's art. Like here's the art, end of the story. Like this is this is it. Like, you know, the utility is the fact that you can listen or look at this thing mm-hmm. and own it, whatever it is, just like the qualities of collecting, the, the add-ons, like, no, I, I don't, I don't like utilities. I, I think burn mechanisms and all of these things can be fun. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I wonder how much, how much all these like fun things will, how they'll look um, 20 years from now when I think people mm-hmm. are way past the hype. Mm-hmm. And are just looking back at this period from like a very sober perspective of, okay, let's categorize and contextualize everything that happened. Like mm-hmm. what was important, what wasn't important, who was like doing cheesy stuff, who was, you know, working on actual like art. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I think a lot, I think a lot of these things will diverge over time. And, um, well, it'll be interesting to see kind of how, the perceptions, because I know that the hierarchy of artists and musicians will change tremendously. Sure. Over the next five, 10, 25 years. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. there'll be tons of people you've barely heard of that are considered some of the finest artists that come out of the space. 
And I'm sure conversely, some of the artists that are the best known in the space will be kind of relegated to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, do, what do you think? I mean, when I think about the origins of the utility argument, it does bring me back to when people first started saying, why would you buy a JPEG? Right. Yeah. Uh, I can just get it for free. And so then there were people who were saying, no, no, it's art for art's sake. But I think what emerged over that was, oh, but wait, it's not just a JPEG because see, it has these use cases. You know what I mean? And so I think there was maybe an authenticity to it in the beginning. I think so. I think I think uh, I think everybody wants to see it succeed. I think everybody wants mm -hmm. to do this. And I know that a lot of people, to a large degree, always kind of feel insecure, even they though they really shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, I know a lot of people feel imposter syndrome. I know a lot of people. So maybe it's maybe it's kind of the same. It's come from the same place with art, right? It's like mm -hmm. you know, just an unwillingness to just or I guess just not feeling like what you created was good enough and then having to add mm -hmm. things to it. And it, it usually always is, right? That's the thing. Like it usually always is good. Enough. Just your art is great. Just stand, just stick with it. Yeah. You know, like you don't have to add anything else. Yeah. You know? Well, it's the so, eternal argument, right? Like, you know, you have the argument of, oh, well, I could have made that in five minutes. It's like, yeah, but you didn't, you know, or, yeah, you know, um, you know, people who look at, somebody say like picasso's work and say oh like why is that valuable you know that's it's simplistic and blah, blah 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 it's like yeah but you're missing the point right or even the banana duct tape to the wall right you know right there, you know it, it i can't feel like it kind of ties back to the same thing where it's like okay you're not recognizing the value of the art itself and therefore you're adding something to it to go hey see here's the value right is this utility that we're adding to it because the art in and of itself well, maybe it isn't worth anything, right? Is kind of the feeling you get from that argument, right? And so we're going to add this other thing in there, package it with a utility that gives it this so-called legitimate value. I think you nailed it. I think I think you I think you absolutely nailed it right there. I think that in packaging utility with art, you as the creator are almost admitting like if you don't feel like it's good enough. And uh, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's a good look. And I think if people actually tease out, well, why did they feel like they needed to add utility? Mm -hmm. You know, the last thing you want is an off, you know, an unconfident artist. <laughs> Here's something. <laughs> is it good? I don't know. I mean, you're the artist. Like this is your thing. Like if one person should be confident about it. It's you, right? So. Yep. Yeah. Um, no. It's it's an interesting topic. I mean, obviously, you know. Uh, for example, I just worked on a, a collection that I did with someone who is going to using, be using my art in a project uh, and they just love the art. And so they wanted yeah. to use the art as a part of it. Now, the utility isn't dependent on the art, uh, but it's definitely there. Like the, the, it's, in, it's integrated in a sense. Um, so I don't know. What do you think of that? Where people are just, you know, it's a token that will have utilities. Um, but this person who commissioned me to do this work just wanted my art to be a part of it because she loved the art fantastic like so i think uh, again like you know we conflate nft i think we also conflate utility right right if there's if there's utility that conceptually makes sense for whatever it is mm -hmm. cool i have zero issues with that. i think that's fantastic and there's a lot of stuff we can do with smart contracts that we couldn't do with other things before sure right yeah. so yeah no by all means explore that 
my the, the utility that I have to criticize is purely the added on, you know, but wait, there's more. Yes. So as long as it doesn't feel, but wait, there's more, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, you. I think, yeah. yeah, run with it, right? So. Yeah. I don't know. I think of somebody like, um, you know, the artist threesomes. He has those uh-huh. little baseball cards, you know? Yeah. I just love the, how he plays with utility and trading and, you know, goes back and actually physically changes his work, you know, and how he plays with all those elements. And yeah, there's definitely utility elements to it, but he does it in an artful way. Even the utility itself is is used yeah. artistically. Well, I think that's, that, that's, I think that's a good example of like uh, utility meshing conceptually with yes. the piece, right? Yeah. It's baseball cards trading. Like, I, like, yeah, it all makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not, and, but yeah, it, it's where it's the cheesy but, tack on that's like, okay, you're not actually getting anything valuable from this except the utility. <laughs> yeah. Right. In which case, why is there this art with this? Right. So, or, you know, a product, a visual product of some sort. That's interesting. I think we're all exploring this right now. You know, it, yes. it is new. It's different. So, you know, it's interesting to see everyone exploring all of our options now and kind of building on what other people have built before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you actually have some work coming out on Super Rare right away. I do. It's a piece called Impermanence is one of them. I think it's a series of seven you've got coming up. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Um, yeah, so this is, this piece has been a long time in the making. Um, mm-hmm. actually you can see the physical on the wall behind me there. Oh, right on. Okay. That one. Uh, um, I did not realize that. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, concept of, you know, permanence and immutability is interesting in our space. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've burned the physical, I've burned multiple versions of the NFT and the, uh, the, the final the final iteration um, I wanted to do seven um, I haven't done this before I've only done one of once um, but I want to do a very limited series okay you know they'll all be very similar mostly just different colors and so forth but I want to mm-hmm. do a limited series um, that kind of feature the different permutations of um, this final, this final burned image, um, and just make it a little more accessible too. I mean, it's it's the winter, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. I feel like uh, fortunate enough to like have a decent price on my one of ones, um, yep. but it, I also don't like that most people can't collect it because there's been some really supportive people in the space that you know I know would like to, but just haven't been able to because of where it's at. And yep. I get stuck there, so it's a it's a tricky spot to be as an artist. So, I'm so uh, the impression to... I'm getting from you is you're creating a piece that's then a series of variants of that piece. Would that be accurate? Exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. Exactly. So it's and gonna be seven so variants. What, seven variants, mm-hmm. and then so how many pieces will there be in total then? Just, the, just seven the seven variants. Vari- it's the seven variants. Okay, I see. Mm-hmm. So it's seven variants of a single piece. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And when is that uh, being released? Uh, I'm going to do it on Monday. Oh, right on. Monday, that yeah. is November 21st. Is that uh, accurate? I'm going to go with you on this. <laughs> I got my little calendar here. Yeah, November 21st. 21st, yeah. Right on. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's very cool. Yeah. 
Um, that's so cool. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time here to talk with me about uh, just some of the interesting topics going on in this space. I'm thinking, though, you know, maybe it's time to make a Mastodon account. I don't know. Have you got a right? Mastodon I did a, social I did, account? I did Farcaster. Which one? Farcaster. 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 But uh, you know what? A second. I've never even I'm heard gonna, of that. I'm gonna hop on. Uh, I'm gonna hop on Mastodon. I've heard Mastodon's kind of like the the biggest one outside of Twitter. But okay, maybe I'm wrong. Well, I feel like you just got to make sure. sure you can go get your decline. Yeah, exactly. I got to claim yeah. my tag. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> once you get known, people people swipe these things. Just They do. They're like, "I'll sell it to you." <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, well, might be fun to try. I don't know. I don't think Mastodon has like a spaces equivalent though. That's the one big thing that I really do like about Twitter. I love Twitter. That's packaged I, I, I think, in there with I it. think Twitter will be all right. But, yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't know if I want to add another social channel. That's yeah. It's such a pain in the ass. <laughs> I feel like, like get the, get the emergency sheet prepared at least. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Like at least claim your space there. Yeah, if you have to go yeah. start over as decline, don't start over as decline 37. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 301789, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Smart. Okay, I'll take that advice. Right on. Well, hey, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time away from your kids. It was fun to hear the um, Metal Gear Solid uh, little bring in the background. I, I, I'm guessing that wasn't actually Metal Gear Solid, but that's where I remember it from. Uh, uh, might as well be, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great game. Anyway, I uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. No, it's such a pleasure, Darren. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. And uh, yeah, I love, love getting into the weeds with you about some interesting topics. So yeah, right on. thank you. Thanks very much. Right on. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Right. Adios. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of NFP with Decline, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks again for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.